Good morning, church. And I just, too, want to say, if, if this is your first time with us, uh, my name is Pastor Jake, and I have the distinct privilege for almost 20 years now of being the pastor here at this church. And that is a testimony of the grace and the compassion of God. When I struggle with my own fears and anxieties in my own life, and yet God continues to sustain and uphold, and I hope and I pray that that would be your experience in your life as well. Maybe not in the moment, you don't sense it and feel it, but as time goes by, and you then have the perspective and the ability to look back, you can see when you thought you were alone, that God was actually there with you, leading you through those times. Well, we're entering what's referred to as the Advent season. Now, Advent, ooh, what's Advent even mean? What's that big word all about? Why not just say Christmas? Because Advent is more than just Christmas, because when we think of Christmas, we think of Christmas Day, really. But Advent, I would make the argument, is a season during the year when Christians intentionally take the time to look back at the coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago so that we could be encouraged and built up so that we can keep on keeping on so that as we now turn and we look ahead and wait for him to come again, that we may endure faithfully. If you've spent enough time within the scriptures, there's one aspect or truth, or reality, or fact, or however you want to define it, that continues to pop up time and time again, and becomes clearer and clearer the more time you spend in the Word of God. And that is this, that not only the Word of God, but all of life is about Jesus. And that's a good thing because the more we understand the scriptures, the more we understand ourselves in the light of the word of God, the more we realize how desperately we need Jesus. And that's why we've called this year's Christmas series, It's All About Jesus. And for those of you that have been with us, you know that we've been working our way through the gospel of Mark which has highlighted the deity and the supremacy of Jesus in different ways and in different perspectives. But the intent for highlighting this is not just to give us the knowledge or some history lesson about who Jesus was that we then store in the back recesses of our minds. That's not the intent. The intent is, the hope is, that knowing this about Jesus would have a real and tangible effect upon all of us. Because as we well know, this world is saturated in sin. We all know that we ourselves are sinful. And the result of this is that this life is filled with pain and brokenness, hardships and struggles, destruction and death because the end result of sin is always and always death. And even as a Christian, unless you are the perpetual optimist who sees the silver lining in everything, life can become extremely discouraging, dark and depressing. 
But here's the thing. As believers, we have what I'm going to refer to as a power that can sustain us through the trials and the tribulations that come our way. And that power is the hope that we have in and because of and through Jesus Christ. This hope is a real and tangible effect of knowing, believing, and trusting in the deity and the supremacy of Jesus. And that is what I want to speak to you about today. The hope of Jesus. Even the apostle Peter gives instruction as to how to endure the tribulations of life. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want to read to you, I want to show this to you out of chapter 1, verse 13, where we read this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your Hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to take some time this morning and unpack this verse because I think it fits so well into the Advent season. There is a command in this verse. This is the command. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, there are several words in this passage I want to unpack for us. First of all is the word hope. We need to understand what this hope is and what it's not. And here is what it's not. The hope here is not wishful thinking. It's not things that we hope may or may not happen, as in, I hope the Maple Leafs win tonight. That's not the type of hope that this is. It's not wishful thinking. Now, one of our elders, Will Ong and myself, were having a conversation this week, and he shared a story that I think fits very well with what hope actually is, at least the hope here in this passage. A good pastor friend of mine and a connection of, of Will's as well, his name is Robbie Simons, and many of you have come from his church, you've sat under his ministry, and I hope I don't misquote Robbie, who is a dear friend, but Robbie sat down and watched basketball, basketball one evening because he is a basketball fan, and so he was watching his team play, and they were losing badly. And so he decided to, instead of remain there and watch them lose so badly that he would PVR the game. That's, that's modern term for recording, if you didn't know. And so he went off to bed. Well, when Robbie got up the next day and he checked the outcome of the game, he discovered to his surprise that the team had come from behind, and even though they were losing badly, they had won. And so Robbie sat down, and he watched the game that he had recorded, and even though 
his team, as he's watching the game, was losing badly, he wasn't discouraged. Why? Because he knew the outcome. The outcome was guaranteed. He had seen the ending. And so he was encouraged, knowing that things were going to turn around and his team was going to come out with the win at the end. That is the hope that this verse is talking about. Our hope is not wishful thinking. I hope, I hope, I hope, I wish, I wish, I wish. That's not it. This hope here is the assurance of things hoped for. Can you grasp that? Can you cling on to that? That's what this is. My goodness, it's powerful. Hope, the full assurance of the outcome. Brothers and sisters, we have that in Jesus Christ. Now, verse 3 in this chapter tells us why this hope is a full assurance of the outcome. So if you look at the verse, it should be up on your screen. We read in chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, here's why, who according to his great mercy, his, according to his great mercy, has caused us, who caused us? He has caused us to be what? Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are words to hang on. These are words to bank on. If you were a betting person, this is what you should bet on right here. This hope can't wither. This hope can't die because it's a resurrected hope, a living hope because Jesus rose from the dead and he overcame death. And Jesus' resurrection is the living proof of the bankableness, of you will, of this hope. And what we learn from this passage here is that our hope is in Jesus. But it's not only that our hope is in Jesus, is that Jesus is our hope. And that is why it is a full and sure hope, a guarantee of the outcome. So that's the first thing I want to point. I want to point out what hope is. Secondly, I want to show you the object of this hope. And the object of this hope is grace. But again, we need to understand this grace, exactly what he's referring to. What is this grace? Now, we would define grace as unmerited favor, something we don't deserve, and it is that, but there's something more distinctive about the grace mentioned here. He gives a form to it. So this grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, what is it? I think it's defined for us in verse 5. Here's what we read. Who, by God's grace, speaking about you, by God's power, sorry, are being guarded through faith for what? For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's it right there. Salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is what I believe that this grace is that he is referring to. 
It is our salvation, which we will experience fully when Jesus comes again. And verse 4 helps us understand the nature of this salvation when he says that it is an inheritance that is imperishable. So what is an inheritance? An inheritance is something that you inherit. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You didn't work for it. It was handed down to you, right? And so this is an inheritance that is, listen, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And what's more, it's kept in heaven for you. Let that sink in. This is the promise of God. God is keeping this for you. God is guarding this for you. How incredible is this grace, this salvation, right? And so here's what we understand. We see that in this passage in verse 13, that hope is the sure or the full assurance of the outcome. And the grace that he's referring to in this verse is salvation that is imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for you until Jesus comes again. So when we find ourselves experiencing hardships and sufferings, when we find ourselves struggling with our own sins, in our own brokenness, what we're commanded to do is to set our hope fully, entirely, completely on the grace of salvation that Jesus will reveal when he comes again. You see, just like Israel, was to put their full hope and confidence in the promised Messiah that God would send, which God did when Jesus came. So Israel was to put their full hope and confidence in Jesus when he came in the cradle as a babe. You and I, we also, are to look forward with that perfect hope that full assurance of the grace that Jesus will bring with him when he comes again. So now the question is, how do we do that? How do we set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought when Jesus comes again? How do we do that when we struggle so much because we look at everything horizontally and we can't see through the fog and we can't see through the clouds and we can't see through the darkness. We can't see through the hardships and difficulties of life. How do we then set our hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed? And Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us two steps that will help us set our hope fully on that grace that will come or will be revealed when Jesus comes. Two steps. The first one, faithful obedience or work towards faithful obedience. Let me, let me show you to this. In verse 13, he says, 
Therefore, preparing your minds for action. That's step one. Peter tells us to prepare our minds for action, which is a way of saying, prepare yourself for faithful obedience. Prepare yourself, do what you need to do, implement what you need to implement in order for you to be faithfully obedient to Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? What does it mean? How do I prepare my mind? It's by implementing what God says to implement, right? Again, Will and I were talking this week, we were talking about Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word, right? How shall I not sin against thee? Lord, your word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. So this is part of the preparation by hiding the word of God in our hearts, right? It's not just historical fact. It's not just a good book of morals, This is the way of righteousness and holiness, and this is the way of God. And so here's how we prepare our minds, right? In fact, even if you go back to, look at this, verses 1 and 2 of 1 Peter chapter 1, we read this. To those who are elect exiles, and I'll reference that in just a moment here, verse 2, skip over to verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, For obedience to Jesus Christ. See, that's the action right there. Obedience to Jesus Christ. Well, how do we become obedient to Jesus Christ? We're already children of God, but how do I become obedient to Jesus Christ? By preparing your mind for action, for faithful obedience. You see, we're told here that believers are chosen by God and that they are sanctified by the Holy Spirit For the purpose of living in obedience to Christ in a world that lives in disobedience towards him. So prepare your minds for faithful obedience by knowing and understanding who Jesus is, by believing and accepting who he is, by knowing and receiving and believing his word, by submitting ourselves to the word of God so that our minds are fitted with the truth, so that in the day of hardship, we can endure. And so when we come to verse 13, the first step we take that helps us set our hope fully on the grace that's to come when life is hard is by Preparing our minds or determining and settling in our minds that come what may, because I've prepared my minds with the word of God and the way of God, I will be faithfully obedient until the coming of Jesus Christ. That's the first step. Peter gives us a second step. And that second step is this. Staying spiritually vigilant. Again, look at verse 13 again. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. That was step one. Now we look at step two. And being sober-minded. And yes, that word literally means sober-minded. In every context that you can think of. But it not only means not to, to keep yourself from getting drunk or hopped up on drugs. 
that rob you of your clarity of mind and self-control. This term is broader than that. It includes more. It carries the idea of not letting your mind take you to places that will cloud your mind or pull you away from living a life of holy obedience to Jesus. You see, when we find ourselves experiencing times in life, difficult, hard times, whether it's health issues, whether it's financial issues, whether it's a dying marriage, whether it's someone straying from the faith, walking away, wanting to do their own thing, we feel the weight of that and a number or a host of other issues that we can experience in this life, being alone and isolated. Oh, you can come up with many more, and I'm sure some of you are going through things that I'm not even mentioning this morning, like this too, and yes, whatever your situation is, in those moments when we go through times like that, we can come to the place where we actually lose a clear mind. We lose the clarity of a godly perspective. We lose the clarity of the direction of the word of God. And then we start entertaining and rationalizing ungodly means of dealing with our situation. Or depending on the situation, we may even entertain leaving the faith altogether. Because I don't know if I can keep going on the faith, going on in faith, if, name your situation, if my spouse leaves the faith, if my child dies from cancer, if a family member walks away from the faith, I don't know if I can stay true then. The pain is too great. So we try to numb that pain, that weight, that discouragement, that depression. You, you can add a thousand other situations to this. I'm just giving you a few as an example. In moments like that, we may start either entertaining or rationalizing ungodly means of dealing with it. Or even entertaining walking away from the faith altogether because of where was God when? Right? Brothers and sisters, when we've gotten to that point, we've already lost clarity of mind. And so step one is to prepare yourself with the word of God for faithful obedience. The second step is spiritual vigilance. Is to remain clear-minded and not looking only horizontal at the situations of this life, but looking vertical, remembering who God is, remembering that he is sovereign and he is supreme and in control of all things. And remember, at the end of it, he wins. even though in the midst of this, it looks like we're losing and we're losing bad. 
In the end, he wins. So keep that clarity of mind. Remain spiritually vigilant. Immerse yourself in the word of God. And the word of God will help you, help you maybe not even see through the, through the smoke or through the smog or through the clouds, but it will lead you through it one step at a time and he will keep you on the path of righteousness. And so it's important to remain spiritually vigilant in order to help us set our full confidence of the grace or the salvation that Jesus is bringing when he comes again. And so as we bring this together, we recognize that our current experience is not as difficult as it was in biblical times. When, when Peter wrote this letter, as I understand it, they were experiencing persecution under Nero. So you see, on top of the regular hardships of life, whether it was financial situations, marital situations, whether it was broken families, whether it was ailing health, on top of all of this, they were experiencing extreme persecution for their faith, where they were being put in prison, separated from families, losing jobs because of the faith of Jesus, and at times even being strung up on crosses and lit up in Nero's garden as lamps for his evening parties. So when we think back to that, we realize that our situation is not as intense or as dire as theirs was. They had much greater reason for discouragement than we do. However, we do see similarities. We're not suffering or being persecuted as they were in their time. Yes, we do see things happening in our society where we see freedoms being eroded. We even see Christian tenants eroding from society. But listen. But listen, keep your head above the smoke. Here's what we know. In the end, Jesus wins. Jesus wins. So don't consider throwing in this white flag. Don't surrender, right? Remember this. Do these two things. Prepare your minds for action. I'm going to be obedient. Come what may. Right? And number two, I'm going to stay spiritually vigilant because we know that greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. I think one of the most misleading things that we have experienced in Christianity over the last, I don't know, 50, 60 years, at least in North America, is this cultural Christianity where when you came to Jesus, whoo, everything went great. Right? Our bank accounts grew and we bought a house and we had a family with a white picket fence. I remember sitting at a men's breakfast here one Sunday, uh, Saturday morning actually and someone sharing a testimony of the deep sins that they were struggling with as a Christian. And I remember one brother popping up and saying, isn't it great that when we come to Jesus, that's all gone? And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's when we're in Jesus that the fight begins. That's when it gets hard. Yes, he is the power, but that's when we find this battle within us. My flesh wants this, but we know this. The spirit of God within us says, no, you want this. Christianity is not easy. And I shared a number of months ago in a sermon, the day that I got baptized, my own dear sister who was very special. She went up and gave a glowing testimony of how when she came to faith in Jesus, life just became good. 
And I went up and I shared my testimony. And I, my parents were just all hanging their heads. I'm like, that's not my testimony. My life sucks. It's hard. I'm, I'm struggling with sin and I can't seem to get around it or pass it or through it. Here's the thing. We were never told Christianity was easy. We're told that there's joy to be had in it. But it's not easy. This life is full of brokenness and sin. And we're sinful. And so we have this struggle. And so we need to prepare our minds for actions. I'm going to be faithfully obedient, come what may. And I need to stay spiritually vigilant. Not being swept to the left or to the right. But to stay the course. Stay the course. So yes, listen, in our times, we're not experiencing the depth of pain and suffering and persecution that they were when Peter wrote this. But we do see some of these similarities. But I would make the argument, this is why we don't just celebrate Christmas Day. But I would make the argument why we celebrate Advent, a time when we look back and we recognize the promise of God fulfilled when Jesus came and was born in a manger. And because of that promise fulfilled, we can now look ahead to second Christmas. Just like second breakfast, right? Second Christmas, when Jesus comes again. And so we set our hope fully on the grace that he'll bring with him when he comes again. Because our hope is in Jesus. In fact, our hope is named Jesus. And we've prepared our minds with the truth, resolving to be faithfully obedient to him and spiritually vigilant to keep us focused on the end because we know the ending. He's coming. He wins. And because he wins, if we have faith in him, we win. We win, folks. Hold on to this truth. Don't be dismayed, even if you find yourself dismayed or discouraged, or if you find yourself struggling with hopelessness. Cling to this, even though when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Cling to that truth. In the end, if we will endure, we will win because he wins. Hang on to that, brothers and sisters. This is why we celebrate Advent, to build up that encouragement. And on that day, we will guaranteed, fully assure, experience fully the grace of eternal life when he comes again. This is the assured hope that we have. Hope in Jesus because Jesus is hope. Let's pray. Father, we often forget how special the Christmas season, not just the day, actually is. A time that we as Christians kind of reset our minds and we look back 2,000 years ago and we recognize Jesus coming again. 
We saw him born, the promise of God fulfilled. We hear the angels singing glory to God in the highest. And to man, peace on earth with whom he is pleased. What a great encouragement that is. Because seeing that the promise was fulfilled the first time and that Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven, we now have the full assurance that you are coming again. No matter what we experience in this lifetime, no matter how how hard the struggles are, we have this assurance that when he comes again, and he will, we will experience the grace of eternal life. And so we look forward to your coming with great anticipation, with joy and even hope, Lord, great hope, because hope is in Jesus alone. And so, Father, this morning, would you help us? Would you help us prepare our minds? Would you help us to remain spiritually vigilant? Would you help us to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, remembering that no matter how bad it looks like things are going, in the end, you have the victory because you have already overcome the world. In Jesus' name, amen.